get inside, like, this is so cool. So happy Mother's Day. How uh, many of you mothers woke up feeling like, you know, a flowery Hallmark commercial, like, oh, it's so perfect. My life is so perfect. <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> a little bit, right? That's sort of unusual, right? It's like, and that gives us a high bar to set. Most of us wake up and we're like, I can't believe I'm alive. I can't believe I'm alive and things are halfway put together. So we sort of feel worn out all the time. And so we don't always meet this definition of this, you know, flowery frolicking in the perfect dress and the perfect makeup. On Mother's Day, we're like, okay, I hope today goes well and I don't have to do as many dishes is what we're all thinking, right? <laughs> well, so I got to tell you that I have been feeling like a warrior lately, so I'm going to be using this prop today a lot. And for those of you who are wondering, I'm going to keep this on the whole time <laughs> while I'm wielding my sword of truth. <laughs> so Ephesians 6.17 says, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God, the scripture. Jesus is the word. Love Jesus, as he said. I love scripture. I love all the things that come out of scripture, all the revelation that comes out of scripture. Scripture saved my life, saved so many of my family members' lives. And I declare it's about to save even more today. So the topic today, I've named this the shepherdess or the shepherd. You men are allowed to be involved today. You're all shepherds. And the voice of truth with a lamb rescue included. We're going to rescue a lamb today, right here live, with God's help. The reason I chose this subject is this is what I'm asked most about. I'm often asked by mothers and women in general, and then lately a lot of men, about how are these rescues happening. Well, one of the things is, is I'm not really doing it. God's doing it. But we've had a lot of fruit, and we're using the scripture. So I just sort of stick myself or the situation in scripture all the time. Even when I didn't know I could do it, but I did it by accident one time and it worked and I just kept going with it. Like I'm not, <laughs> unlike my son who just came home, who's a biblical scholar now, I am not. I am like chief sinner these days. So I get the most questions about what I'm going to talk to you about today. So I'm just going to talk about some of the fruit and the testimony as it happens from it. And then, you know, this is about taking back our lambs, taking back the prodigals. And the lambs don't always have to be our living, breathing children. It could be our health. It could be really anything that God has given us authority over, right? There's a lot of things we can take back. We just sort of get worn out and weary. But we're going to take those back today. So I want to just really show you what I've been doing and share what a lot of other people are doing. There's been so many, it was so hard to choose and narrow it down of which ones I'd talk to, because now, opposed to having one or two that I'd stand on, now there's like hundreds of stories about how this has worked. So I've tried to pick out a few, but I first want to tell you about some of the verses that I just love and are really meaningful to me. And you don't have to put these up. I sort of changed the uh, uh, order at the last minute. Um, Proverbs 11:21. I love the second half of that verse, and it said, The seed of the righteous will be saved. Well, I'm righteous because Jesus said so, not by my own works, and my seed will be saved. I'm like, 
Thank goodness my mothering skills aren't responsible for that. My sons will be saved. My grandchildren will be saved. My seed will be saved because of what Jesus did. So, I, you know, the one, two, three routine, here's what you got to do, this, that, and the other, it's over. I claim that promise. I'm really serious about enforcing the promises of the Bible. I do it all the time. God says so, therefore it's true, and it's mine. It belongs to me. I do this all the time. Another verse I like is Joshua 24:15, where Joshua is just now sort of on his deathbed, and he's talking to the leaders. And he's sort of trying to remind them of, like, make a choice today. There's idols here. There's a way to follow God. you got a lot of choices, but choose. And he says to them, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors or the gods served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Ammonites, that's sort of where they were living at the time, in whose land you're living, but as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. So we're making a choice each day. You started talking about today, and the word the Lord woke me up with, part of the reason we rearranged the scripture is he said, talk about today. Do everything today. He gave me more for today. So it feels good to be in alignment with your pastor shepherd. There. <laughs> Here's my last verse that I absolutely love, and it's Romans 10:9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord... And you believe in your heart that God raised him up from the dead, you're saved. That's it. It's so, it's so easy. Just Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart. It doesn't have to get complicated. We just sort of overcomplicate things sometimes. So I love those three. My seed will be saved. I can make a choice this day to follow Jesus alone or follow the idols of the world where I'm living or my ancestors. And all I got to do is proclaim Jesus is Lord and I can bring more into the flock. So the opportunity today is to choose today what you want to do and insert yourself in some of the biblical scripture and the patterns that I'm going to show you today. So in case you're wondering, a lot of people think just because all these things, this fruit happens and these miracles happen, that I'm sort of full of holiness, and that's completely wrong. I am a sinner under the Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's me all the way. Sometimes I'm like, wow, I'm getting up there with Paul. Like I've... For the wages of sin is death, and I don't, want, I don't want that for myself. But the gifts of God, just the free gift of God, it's eternal life with Jesus, the Lord. That's where I want to be. And then back to Romans 10, 9, if I just declare that with my mouth, I get to get out of death and I get to have a life with Jesus, amen. It's that easy. So these are some of my favorite anchoring verses. They're pretty, pretty simple, right? So let's, the scripture I really want to anchor this talk on today and end up where we're going to do a lamb rescue it has to do with the story of David and Goliath. But it has to do with the beginning part of where the story begins, where we see David, and he's left shepherding, and he's now approaching King Saul to say, hey, you know, I think I can do something here. That often gets leaped over for the bigger, supposedly grander story when he takes out Goliath, right? But I want to draw your attention to this first part of this because we talk about rescuing lambs here. So it's in 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 37. And I have up first the NLT version. 
So I'm going to read it first, and then I want to point something out, because this is going to be our anchor today. So David is now come, and he's talking to King Saul. And we're going to go back and read this whole story, but I'm going to extract this out of context for a reason. So David persisted, and he tells King Saul, he's like, look, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal the lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both the lions and the bears, and I'll do this to this pagan Philistine too. For he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Like, he's super confident right there, and so I want to anchor on something right there. He's talking about lamb rescue there, and lambs are like these little children sheep. They're not the big rams. They're like the little babies in the mouths of these lions and bears. He's talking about he goes and gets them every time, and if they happen to turn on him, he wipes them out. Right? So this gets like leapfrogged over for the Goliath story, but we're going to come back to this in a minute. So first I want to set up a foundation, though, about biblical patterns and the definition of what a shepherd is. So biblical patterns for me are not just stories of the Old Testament. They are now strategies. Like I said, I figured this out by accident, and now it's like my go-to. Lord, what's the strategy? Show me in the Old Testament what I can pull out and apply today. And so I've, I've chosen a weird one as an example of this. I've chosen actually a business one. And so a couple years, I want to give you a quick testimony of an actual example from maybe 18 months ago or two years ago or so. We had started a sub-company, we being myself, my partner Natalie, and an attorney from a very, very large law firm. The three of us, uh, we were all pretty anchored. Uh, we thought she was a believer. She was, but not a follower. And so there's a difference, right? And so sometimes they don't have as much protection when they're not following. We have to help them. So what ended up happening is we've got this sort of new little operation going, and within a year, there's incredible dissension. My partner and I feel one way. We want to be led by the Lord on how to finish it because it was his idea, and she is driven by money only, and we are at a strong conflict. And it all of a sudden takes this very dramatic twist where she says, look, I'm from a law firm, and she starts to threaten us. You do this or... We're like, all right, well... What are we going to do? This is a Goliath situation, right? Wow, she, she's got it. And so we're praying, 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 Lord, what's the go-to strategy? And of all the things he shows me, he shows me Genesis 13, 8. And this is the story when Ab Abram, or he wasn't Abraham yet, he was Abram. He and Lot are kind of have now moved out. They've been separated. They followed God. But their flocks and everything have become so big that everyone's starting to fight. They're fighting over the land. They're fighting over all of the things. And Abram realizes, like, hey, we shouldn't be fighting. So he actually has this verse in 13.8. It says, so Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and my herders, for we're close relatives. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go left. He's like, take whatever you want. Let's not fight. It's not worth it, is what he said. So the Lord shows us this verse, and I know what this means. 
I call my partner. I go, hey, guess what? The Lord's going to ask us to just give up this. Say, hey, you want the company or you want the money? What do you want? And she's like, oh, my gosh, okay. She goes, well, if it's scripture, we should do it. So literally we crafted an email to her, and it said, let's not have any quarreling between you and us or between your staff and ours, for we're close relatives in the body of Christ. Take anything you want. Take the whole company or just take your portion. We'll buy you out or you can buy us out. Do whatever you like. We stand with you. Within 30 seconds, she responds back on email. She goes, no, take it. Just take it. Just buy me out. I want the money. 30 seconds, it was over when we were willing to insert ourselves in the scripture. So if we follow that story on, do we know what happened to the lot? He chose this land in the valley that became Sodom and Gomorrah. She chose money, and we chose the company God had started, and it has flourished. So we got the better deal at the end of it. And so we continue to pray for her because she struggles. She struggles still right now, and I believe we pray in her end. But I'm just saying, this is a simple little strategy of biblical patterns. So can we have agreement right now that inserting yourself in the Bible scripture works? Yes, we agree with that as a church. We choose to agree that we can use Bible scripture for our strategies today. Now let's talk just a minute about the definition of a shepherd or a shepherdess. I would consider that definition anything that you're carrying over, you're, you have care over, that it's given by God. So things that we are asked to care for have come from God, provided by him. He gives us provision for this, and they really belong to him. So this could be things, our children, which is a hard thing for us mamas to give over. But it could be our health, our businesses, our ministries, our cars, our bank accounts. This, be, this is part of our flock, our friend circles, our associations we belong to. This all becomes part of our flock that we become shepherdesses and shepherds over. And this is, a, this is something that started back in the Garden of Eden. You know, God didn't say to Adam and Eve, hey, I've made this beautiful garden, don't do anything, don't touch that tree. I just want you to lay down and I'll bring food to you. He said, get up, work, care for this land, care for the animals, name the animals. He started putting them to work caring for something right away. Because we're made to care for something else. We're made to shepherd something. We're also made to be shepherded, even though we might resist that at times. So he was their first shepherd. Now, I, every time I think about the Garden of Eden, <laughs> Chris is going to kill me for mentioning this, I worry about, I wonder about things like, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Right? No? They're made in God's image, set after the fall. Does God have a belly button? <laughs> I said that to Chris the other morning. He's having coffee. He didn't even answer me. He just turned and walked away. <laughs> yeah, he's my shepherd. Pray for Chris. <laughs> so when Jesus was walking around here as man God, who was his shepherd? Who's his who was his shepherd? 
God the Father, right? So when he came here, he even had a shepherd. So we, even our children, our children are born. Look at how our young children like to care for a doll, care for a pet. We are meant to shepherd something and be shepherded. This is a very important concept to remember. So even Jesus, while he came here, he said he was the shepherd, but he was also had a shepherd. All right? One of the things we need to know about when we have a shepherd rule, shepherdess, is that we have authority over the flock the Lord has given us and the things in it, but we do not have authority over somebody else's flock. We off, I often hear believers coming like, oh, they're doing this, they're doing this, Rami, and it didn't work. And I'm like, well, do you have authority over that? Well, you're praying over somebody else's situation, somebody else's children, and the parents are the shepherds. Are you going through the right authority? They are the shepherds. Did they ask you to pray for them and take authority and take back their lamb or whatever they're trying to do? I have permission today. I have authority of this message given to me by these shepherds. I can't just get up here and have authority because it has to come through the current shepherd. Right? So we can't go off and be doing things in somebody else's flock. It's called stealing. <laughs> All right. Let's last talk about this definition that pertains to a shepherd, and it's called the sheepfold. And Jesus talks a lot about this sheepfold. And really what that was, it was like a, a a rock wall that the shepherds of old, when during Jesus' time, this is why he talked about this a lot, because it was a really common sort of occupational thing. They would build this uh, wall fence with a small opening at the front, so they would just literally stack up rocks big enough for their sheep to get in, or sometimes they'd climb up in a cave into a hole, and they'd find a hole that was just big enough where they could lay across, because the shepherd himself would lay down and become the gate. They'd become the door at night. And they'd wake up, let them all out. So they'd build it high enough to keep out the other animals, the predators, if you will. And the sheep wouldn't jump out. They'd stay in there. And the shepherd was the doorway, was the gatekeeper. So when Jesus talks about a sheep fold, this is the boundaries around his flock. And so Jesus does use this quite a bit. So now that we have some definitions established, we agree we can put ourselves in the patterns of old in the Bible, and we kind of know what a shepherd is, what, we what we're in charge of or not. Now let's read John 10, the NIV version. This is uh, Jesus talking about himself as a shepherd and the sheep. I want to give these guys a minute if you're able to get John 10 up. Okay, great. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, by the door, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. No jump in the walls, right? Can't come in the back door. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out, and when he's brought out all of his own, he goes out on ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice, the voice of truth. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. 
but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out, come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A hired hand is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, and the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So there's a special affection that is given to the shepherd and a special responsibility that the Lord places within us as shepherdesses and shepherds to care for our flock. We can sub it out maybe temporarily, but they're not going to do it the way we were supposed to do, right? It's specifically purposed for us. So we are all purposed as a shepherd or a shepherdess for God's kingdom. And the type of flock he gives us is in alignment with the type of shepherding skills he's given us. Let me finish this up. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this sheep pen, and sometimes it says sheep fold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So this is a really interesting thing. He's saying, I, as a shepherd, am going to lay down right in the gate, and I'll put myself in harm's way to the, the wolves in this that are coming. We often think of that as only as he went to the cross, which is extraordinary, as the lamb, but he's also talking about how he does it as a shepherd because he was the shepherd and the lamb at the same time. It's good, isn't it? He's so good. He's teaching us here. We say, choose this day. Jesus, you are my Lord. Let me continue strengthening you as shepherds and shepherdesses for just a minute. The more truth you know and the more you agree with God, the stronger your authority becomes as a shepherd and a shepherdess. So let me strengthen you and talk about shepherd directions and boundaries. As a shepherd, you have to be good at directions. I think we can keep a, uh, come up with a couple examples in the Bible, maybe like when Jesus was born, that the shepherds were real helpful. They had directional abilities, right? Use the stars, moons. These guys are good at directions, and we're supposed to be good at giving directions too, all day long. So how many heavens are there? Do we know? Well, we know there's more than one because in the beginning, in Genesis, it says God created the heavens and the earth. And Paul talks about going to third heaven, so we know there's like one, two, or three. We don't, we don't really know because it doesn't really say, but, the, but there's more than one is what I'm saying. God himself said it created the heavens and the earth. So when someone poses the question to one of us and says, is there only one way to heaven? Which has been a highly contested question, hasn't it? All over the news, trying to, some people have been using it for manipulation, fame, defamation. But there's one answer. So if you're really asking that and there's multiple heavens, 
That would be like asking somebody, is there one way to city? Well, your natural answer would be like, well, what city are you going to? I'm going to Detroit. How do I get to street? What street are you trying to get to? We are looking to get people to the right place. I'm looking to get to this street house. Well, what's the number of the house you're trying to get to? So my question is, when people say this to us as shepherds, is there only one way to heaven? What heaven are you trying to get into? Are you trying to get into the house of Jesus' father, my father in heaven? Or are you trying to go somewhere else? Because I know the way to that house. It's through Jesus. He's the front door. We have to be very equipped to give direction as shepherds. Because now you will have authority. As we think about Jesus, as he talked about heaven as his father's house, we just heard him talk a lot about he's the door. So let's sort of tell people to use the front door going to his house, right? This is the right. So let's, let's, let's just use a modern-day example. What if we were invited over to dinner, to Devin and Mike's house for dinner? And they invited us all. We're all invited. And uh, you guys all go in there, and Chris and I decide to, like, break the back windows and bust in the back door and be like, we're here. They'd be like, what's wrong with you? We are your manners. Why don't you use the front door? This is a manners thing. You use the front door. If we're going to Walmart and we say, hey, gosh, let's go to Walmart, let's go buy some things, we don't sit there and plot and plan and figure out a way to blow out the back wall. We just walk in the door, right? We are all invited into heaven that is the house of Jesus' father, our father in heaven. We're all invited. we got to use the front door. And this is the direction we give as shepherds and shepherdesses. John 10, 1 again. Very I truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. So not only if you don't go through the front door, you're a thief and a robber, and the Bible says a whole lot of stuff about that. It's not a good place to be. You want to use the front door. So let's review this question. You, shepherd, hey, is there only one way to heaven? What heaven are you trying to get into? Are you trying to get into the house of my Lord and Savior and his Father's house? Well, we use the front door. It's Jesus. Right? All right, let's apply this last thing. Is there only one way to God? It's the same concept. Does the Bible talk about more than one God? Touchy subject, isn't it? It's like, well, there's the, the God, our God. The creator, the father, the God. But then he himself talks about a lot of other small G gods. Don't follow any of these other gods but me. He doesn't just talk about idols, but don't follow these other gods. So there are other gods. So if someone asks you, is Rami, is there only, I suppose you think there's only one way to God. What do you think about that? I'm like, well, which God are you trying to get in to see? I can tell you how to get into my God. It's through Jesus. So we have to be very directional as shepherds and shepherdesses. Because this will give you the authority. What are the boundaries of my home? You know, when Connor and Jensen were younger, I know they used to sneak in and out. You know, they'd leave, like, step stools outside. You know, it's like, all right, you're going to have to start using the front door, okay? Because I know the boundary. 
The door's not there. <laughs> right? So we have to know the direction. We have to know where our boundaries of our flock are. All right. <laughs> All right. Choose this day. I choose Jesus the Lord. I choose that front door. Right? All right. So let's go back and talk about David. In 1 Samuel 16, before we kind of get into the story of, of David and Goliath and go back there now, Jensen, when he came home last night, you know, running your message by a biblical scholar is dangerous, right? <laughs> You're going to end up with good information, but we have more scripture than we had last night. Thank you, Jensen. But he pointed some really cool things out. He said, you know, David was uh, in 1 Samuel 16, 11. This is when anointed prophet Samuel is coming to Jesse's house, and he's got all the kids, and David is one of them. He's the youngest. And he's looking. This is this conversation where he's like, do you have any other kids, or is there anyone else here? So Samuel says, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse, the father, answered, well, there's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's out tending the sheep. He was shepherding. Samuel said, send for him. We're not going to sit down until he arrives. Now, Jensen pointed out the Hebrew word in that context, youngest, is hakatan, and it really means the worthless one. Like, <laughs> the worthless one is out there. Is that what you mean? I can't imagine being called a worthless one by your family members. I mean, some of us can, right? Because that <laughs> might have happened. <laughs> but, you know, so talk about feeling defeated. Like, and so anointed Samuel knew who he was looking for. And the family's like, yeah, the worthless one is out there. Yeah. So he was sort of deemed worthless from the beginning, shoved out, shepherding out there. God had other plans, right? David would become a great king, as we know. Went from worthless to kingly. Typical Bible. Okay, I'd like now to read the story of David and Goliath with all of these things in mind. So we're going to go to 1 Samuel 17. All righty, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soka in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephnus, Demim, between Sokahan, Azekah, I don't know if I'm pronouncing these right. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites had another hill, and the valley was between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. I love it that they measured in the weight of money. That's so fun. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. A bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome and kill him, you'll become the subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, 
This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. This would be scary, you know? You can't just walk away. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was in Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war, so David's three older brothers were helping Saul with the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second, Abinadab, (laughs) and the third, Shammam. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward, and every morning and every evening took a stand. Now, Jesse said to his son David, take this epaph of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry over to the camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. What do you know? He didn't just take off. He kind of subbed out his shepherd work, got a shepherd. He loaded up and set out as Jesse directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, another shepherd of the supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He'll also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes. (laughs) You get a daughter and no taxes. If you live, you know. (laughs) David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes the grace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He was just like, we have a living God. Who, who's this guy? They repeated to him what they'd been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. They didn't answer, who's this guy? They're just like, this is how you get rid of this guy. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Well, he didn't do that, right? He got a, subbed out a shepherd. He didn't leave him hanging there. So he accused him of the very thing he didn't do. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. Probably the opposite. You came down only to watch the battle. He's like, now what have I done, said David. Can't I even speak? And then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same manner. So he moved from his older brother and just brought the same issue up, like, who is this guy? And the men answered him as before. What David said, though, was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. So, just want you to know in a moment, he's getting completely mocked and dismissed by his family, and he gets like, boom, he's talking to a king. 
right? He's the worthless one, and now he's like talking to King Saul, just like that. So David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. David said to Saul, and he starts to bear witness to God right here. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, let the Lord be with you. He's not going to argue with that. He's bearing witness to what God's done. Saul was anointed too, remember, even though he did some nutty things later. He was anointed by God and recognized another anointing. He's like, okay, go. But then Saul addressed David in his own tunic. And he put on, he dressed him in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor and a bronze helmet on his head. I love this, by the way, right here. Not only did he get from worthless to talking to a king, now he's got the king's like, clothes, you know? It's like, that quick. <laughs> That's what God will do. All right. So he's putting on, David fastened the sword over the tunic and tried walking around, but he, he just wasn't used to it. He's like, I can't go on these, he said to Saul. I'm not used to them, so he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. Well, this is going on. He's like getting closer. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his own gods, by his gods. So he's mocking him, curses him. Then he says, come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Does three things, mocks him, curses him, and threatens him. Boom, boom, boom. Which is very typical of the enemy when you think about if you're under attack. You'll often get mocked, cursed, and threatened. David said to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. He goes back at him. He's like, I see a sword, spear, and a javelin. Just ignores his other verbal stuff. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. The, this day, today, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I'm going to strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know it's not by sword or the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line, ran towards him to meet him, 
Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran over and stood. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's own sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. So this is really interesting about David. If you think about this, there's some real patterns in here. If you think about this, David's been trained out there as a shepherd. It was his shepherd abilities with God. He'd say, when there's a, a lamb in the mouth of the lion or the bear, and it wasn't if, it's like when, like it happens all the time. When, 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 when. I'm going to go up and I'm going to take it. But he says, the Lord protected my back. If this lion or bear comes around and tries to get me from behind, the Lord protects me every time. He knew and had faith in God because he'd been training as a shepherd. He knew God was behind him. He knew every time he would go after one of his lands that God gave him the authority to care for, and it was supposed to be in the pen, and a thief or a robber or something came over the pen, he knew he could go after it because he knew God would be behind him to get it. He had this knowledge. We now have this written knowledge that we can apply. So when he walked out there and he's like, Saul, you have authority over this. Go get this guy. Somehow they had become weary. But the reason people say, well, was David crazy? No, David knew. David knew it was about authority of the flock. So he literally asked King Saul for permission to have authority over the flock, and he took it. And he said, the God of all these armies, the, not the army, the God of the army is behind me. We're doing this. He had such faith in God that he knew he'd have his back. So he just, you get the feeling he didn't even matter what he had in his hand. Lord was going to take him out. Right? So let's pause on this for one, one more second. I, I want to get thinking a little graphic here for a second. Let's go back to this image of a lamb in the mouth of a lion or a bear. One of the things that happens with us is shepherds and shepherdesses, we can sometimes look at a situation and go, it's too late. Can you imagine what a lamb, little lamb would look like in the mouth of a lion? It's likely to be a little graphic. There's likely to be some injury there, right? The chance of survival of that lamb in the mouth of a big lion, is, it, I think anyone would say, is pretty slim. But not for those who choose Jesus, right? Because we always have a shepherd. It's never, never too late. Ever. You can walk right up to a lion and take a baby lamb out of it without harm. And if the lion turns on you, per scripture, you, you'll be able to kill it. Now let's go back to Jesus. On the cross, about 6 p.m., he had passed on. He said, it's finished. I am certain there was a bunch of people looking there going, it's too late. But who came to get him? Who came to get the lamb? 
the good shepherd, our father, came to get his lamb three days later. And everyone would say it was too late. Except Jesus didn't need our protection. He wasn't stolen. He, he did that willingly. We can get stolen as lambs. Our lambs can get stolen out of deception in this evil world. He didn't need that kind of protection. He willingly, he willingly went. He willingly went. And his good shepherd came to get him when everybody thought it was too late. It's never too late if you choose Jesus to be your Lord. Never. You can get anything that God has put in your flock back if it is the Lord's will. So what I really want to do now is I want to take back some lambs. I want to start to close this out here and see if anyone has a lamb that they want to come up and have me help them take it back. Or we could do it as a group or you can stay there. But I'm willing to do this with anyone. And what we want to be thinking about is what is a lamb situation that's in your flock that you want back? You want to take it back. What's the situation there? And before we do this, I want to think, what are three things that's happening and it's a threat? Is it a health issue that you've received information? And maybe it's because of something that you've done in the past. Maybe uh, you didn't feed yourself well in the past, so you've got self-condemnation coming at you as one of them. What are the things coming at you that you want to take back your lamb? Because we're going to say, you come at me with one, two, and three. We come at you with the God of the armies of Israel. And today, the Lord will conquer you, and we're going to cut off the head. We take back the lamb. So if anyone wants to do that, anyone wants to volunteer, if not, I'm just going to be calling things out. I'm just going to be calling things out and taking things back as I see and hear it in the spirit. And we'll have some individual prayer time up here uh, in just a few minutes if you want to do that privately with Pastor Pete. I just want to tell you that lambs can be taken. We've taken back tons in our family. Jensen is an example there. We've warred for him, and now he's one of two Torah analysts in the United States studying Hebrew and Greek and just such a blessing. There's so many things that have happened. So I'm just going to yell some things out here. Not yell. I'll try not to yell. I'm going to take my sword. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. There are so many lambs that we have. We have our children. We have our children, whether we raise them in the word or not. If we have a relationship with you and we claim that you are our Lord, we can take back our lamb. We have our children. We have other things in our flock. We have our ministries. We have our finances. We have our homes. We have our cars, our businesses. We have our friends and associates. We have our talents. We have our mind and our wisdom. We have our spiritual gifts. And enemy, one of the things you like to come at us with is fear. You like to come at us with fear. You like to wear us out. And you like to create poverty around us. Will you come at us with poverty, fear, self-condemnation? Today, we come at you with the God of the armies of Israel, our Savior and our Creator. And today, the Lord will conquer you. And we will cut off your head. 
and we will restore and take back our lambs back to our authority and our sheepfold. Because we are the mighty shepherds and shepherdesses, commissioned and anointed and appointed by God the Creator Himself. And Jesus is the doorway that we go to to access our Father's house. So Lord, we take back any lamb that you want us to take back. And Lord, I ask that these words stay written in their hearts and their tongues, that they get very directional with others that the Lord brings to them. Lord, you ask us to go after the lost sheep. Let us get good directions. of a song called, from Casting Crowns called The Voices of Truth, which is Jesus, right? And I'm going to go stand in the back corner, and anyone who wants to get a picture of your shepherdesses today with the flowers and the sword, I want you to take a picture with these on of yourself. I want you to remind yourself of who you are in Christ. You're equipped, and you're an incredible shepherdess. And shepherds. Guys, if you want to just do the sword, you can. You don't have to put the flowers on. I have someone take a picture of you to remind you of who you are. We'll go stand back there. I really appreciate the opportunity to let um, me talk about the Lord with you and how many things we love about.